Originally, I was planning for this to be the last week when I would talk about Moses for a while. Because I said to myself, I've been talking about Moses for quite a while now and going through this series, and it's probably about time to take a break and talk about a few other things for a while before I come back to it. And you know, we're at that part where the Israelites are about to cross the Red Sea, and after they cross, that just seems like a perfect place to put the series on hold for a little while and come back to it later. So this will probably be the last week um, of talking about Moses, at least for a while. But then there was so much stuff to talk about in this chapter that I had to put it into two parts. So now the new plan is that next week is going to be the last um, we'll talk about Moses for a while. But this is in Exodus chapter 14, where the Israelites have now been led out of Egypt, and they have been brought to the Red Sea. And I want to go through, and actually between today and next week, read through this whole chapter. So if you have a Bible close by, I encourage you to grab it and read along with me as we go through this. But we're going to read through the entire 14th chapter of Exodus and talk about the many many lessons that we can learn from this. So let's begin reading it at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them, and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready, and took his army with him. He took six hundred of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them, as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. So here we have God planning a pretty elaborate plan, where he has brought the Israelites to the Red Sea, which, as I talked about last week, wasn't even his original plan. This is his backup plan, but he brings the Israelites to the Red Sea and has them camp there and kind of wander around the area because he wants Pharaoh to think, that they're lost and confused and vulnerable, so that then Pharaoh will gather his army and chase after them. So a pretty elaborate scheme that God has put into motion here. And as I was thinking through this, I imagined myself as being one of these Israelites. And I've just been led out of Egypt by this guy named Moses, who I don't even really trust yet. Uh, and we'll get more into that later, but I don't really trust him, and we've been led out of Egypt, and now we're just kind of waiting by the Red Sea without anything really going on, 
just there. And if I was an Israelite, I would probably want to know what was going on. And I'd probably ask God, God, what are we doing here? What What's taking place? And if God were to give me the answer at that time and say to me, well, you know, you're camped here so that the Pharaoh thinks you're confused and he's going to chase you down. I probably wouldn't feel too good about that. I'd say, well, God, that's, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't want to be chased down. What are you doing? Um, and so even though I would have received my answer from God, if I was one of the Israelites in that moment, I wouldn't have really understood what was taking place because I wouldn't have known what God was about to do, that God was about to split the Red Sea so that I could go across on dry ground. So the answer that I would receive from God would only make me more confused and more worried if I did not have the understanding to go with it. And I think this is sometimes where we as followers of Christ can make a mistake in where we're, when we're in a situation that we don't like and we don't understand, that we go to God demanding an answer, or even just asking for an answer. God, tell me what is happening. And I think sometimes we chase that answer more than an understanding of what God is trying to do. Because God wants to give us a deeper understanding of his plans and not just an answer to our questions. Because sometimes that just having the answer without the understanding doesn't help. It's just like when you're doing math in high school and, you know, you've got a really complicated equation in front of you. And so you're like, well, I need to figure out what the answer is. And for whatever reason, you figure out what the answer is. And it doesn't help because you still don't understand the equation. You're like, okay, I know what the answer is, but I have no idea how I got there. That's not the point in learning math. Is It's not just to find an answer. It's to understand how you get to that answer. That's why uh, people are required to show their work, to show that they understand the answer and they don't just have the answer. But I think too often in our spiritual walk, we do that where we go after God just chasing an answer. God, just tell me what the answer is. Tell me the reason. And sometimes God is trying to say to us, I don't just want to give you the answer. I want you to understand why I have made things the way that I have, why I have put things in motion the way that I have, why you are at this point not just what the answer is. So rather than just seeking answers from God, I think we need to seek to understand him more. Because if we do truly understand God, and as we deepen our understanding of God, it will lead us to the answers for all of our questions that we have, or at least most of them. The more we understand God, the more answers we'll find. But if we are given those answers... Without the understanding, it's only going to make us feel worse. It's the understanding that leads to the answers. So rather than going God saying, tell me why, give me the reason, give me the answer, we need to instead focus more 
on deepening our understanding of him. And as we do that, the answer will become clear. So let's continue where we left off now at verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So the Israelites in this moment begin to speak out against Moses. And their main complaint is that Moses didn't leave them to remain slaves in Egypt. And again, for us who know the end of this story, that they don't die here, that they do make it out, and they do that this is the beginning of a new life that God has for them. For us, it's easy to look at this and say, well, why are they complaining about this? Why would they possibly want to go back to slavery in Egypt? But I think the answer to that is that slavery in Egypt was all that these Israelites had ever known. It was all that was familiar to them. And in this place where they were scared, terrified for their lives, thinking that they were going to die here, that in this place of uncertainty is when they tried to grasp for straws, and what they were grasping for was what was familiar to them, because they couldn't see anything past what was familiar to them and what they were used to. And God was trying to break them out of that situation they were in, to something that was far better, but they couldn't see it. They couldn't see past what they were used to. And it would have been really easy for somebody to make a complaint against Moses, saying that he was going against God because God was the one that brought them to Egypt. Remember that. God, before Moses came along, there was Joseph, and Joseph was used to bring the Israelite people into Egypt to help them during a time of famine. So somebody could have easily said to Moses, well, Moses, you're going against God because God brought us into Egypt, and that was God's will, and now you're trying to take us out of Egypt. You're trying to take us down a different path, and we that can't be from God because God led us to that time at uh, led us to that place at that time, and so we need to just stick with that. And it is so good for the Israelite people that Moses was hearing God's new leading and where God wanted to lead them now. Yes, God led them into Egypt to help them during a time of famine, but he didn't lead them there so that they so that they could become slaves to this Pharaoh. That was not God's intention. But as they continued to stay in Egypt, what God's original purpose was became outdated and twisted into something that God never wanted to happen. And now that same God that brought them into Egypt was saying it was time for them to let go of Egypt and go into something different. 
See, we should never forget that the God that we serve is a living God. And although he never contradicts himself, there are times when he gives us a new instruction for a new day. And rather than just clinging to things that are familiar to us, because, well, that's how God wanted us to do it before, and, and so let's stick with tradition just because of that reason, and not realize that, you know, there's even the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And what God wanted his people to do in the New Covenant was different than what he wanted them to do in the Old Covenant. God is not stuck in his old ways. He is not a dead God. He is a living God who continues to speak to us in new ways. And just like how, even though he'd originally brought the Israelites to Egypt, that now he was leading them out of that place, we need to always be listening for what God's instruction is. Because his plan for our life now might be different than how it used to be before. And that doesn't mean he's contradicting himself. Because God saying the Israelites needed to get out of Egypt didn't contradict him saying that during that time of famine they needed to be in Egypt. So there are things that God will never go back on, you know. He's not going to say, all right, it's just okay for you to murder now, right? He's not going to contradict himself in that way, but to realize that God can give us new instructions and that that's not a contradiction of past instructions is something that we need to remember. We serve a living God, and we need to always be listening for his new direction. And the Israelites at this time were missing it. Only Moses was the one paying attention. The rest of the Israelites... They missed it. Let's continue on. Verse 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So even though the Israelites are bringing these accusations against Moses and these complaints, Moses still had faith in God. His faith was not shaken. And in response to the people, he is encouraging them to not be afraid, but continue to trust in God. He's trying to move them from a place of fear, especially a fear for oneself, and to move them from that fear to instead a trust in God. So instead of them saying, I'm worried about what's going to happen to me, that they are instead saying, I recognize God's authority and will trust him to direct my path. Fear so easily will destroy our trust in God. And fear, this is something else that we have to realize is that fear is also inherently a selfish thing. Just like the Israelites here, what are they fearful of? They're fearful about what is going to happen to them. 
and they don't want anything bad to happen to them. And a lot of the fear that we deal with is exactly the same, where we say, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't want anything bad to happen to me. And you might argue, well, what about being fearful for someone else, somebody that I love, somebody that I care about? What if I'm fearful for them? Well, a lot of that is also leads right back to a selfish attitude. Because if I were to ask you, well, why don't you want anything bad to happen to them? What, why are you fearful for them? You might say something like, well, I don't want anything bad to happen to them. Or I want them to be safe. I want them to be taken care of. And see, a lot of that goes right back to your desire. I think sometimes that's easily seen in the life of uh, a doting mother and a reckless son. (laughs) Where the son wants to go off and do something dangerous and the mom is saying, no, I don't want you to do that. I'm scared for you. And, And sometimes try to hold back the son from going out and doing something that sure might be a little bit risky, but it has meaning to him. And so that mother's fear for her son is not helpful to the son. It's only reflecting that mother's desire for her what she wants, which is for her son to be okay. And although that isn't necessarily a bad thing, it can be when it goes too far. When that fear, that that saying what you want or what you don't want to happen, leads to you putting your life in your hands, or worse, trying to put other people's lives in your hands, Rather than trusting them and trusting yourself to God is where it then becomes idolatry of oneself and one's own desires. And Moses, in this moment, he's trying to lead them away from that fear of self or fear for oneself, which was that selfish desire, to instead a place in trusting that God knew what he was doing. And it's important that we face fear the same way, that we're able to kind of set ourselves aside, our desires aside, and trust in God to direct our paths. Because when we try to save our own life is when oftentimes we lose it. But when we lose our lives to God is when he is able to save us from all of our fear and all of our sin. So we have to set ourselves aside and trust in God. Let's go through one more section before we wrap up for today. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Now when I was reading through this, 
I was kind of surprised by the change of tone. Because we just had verses where Moses was telling the Israelite people to not be afraid and trust in God. And then the very next verse, you have God saying to Moses, why are you crying out to me? And lest you think that that verse is having God refer to the Israelites, why are the Israelites crying out to me? Well, we know that that's not the case because the you being used here is a singular you. So God isn't asking Moses, why are the Israelites crying out to me? He's asking Moses, why are you, Moses, crying out to me? So what we can imply from that is that after Moses is telling the Israelites to not be fearful and trust in God, that he then goes and cries out to God about their situation. To which God responds, why are you crying out to me? And I think there is a powerful lesson to be learned from this question. Because most of us who've grown up in the faith, that question seems really weird. Because wouldn't God want Moses to go to him in this situation? Rather than Moses trying to figure it out on his own, shouldn't God want Moses to go to God in this situation? But I think we're missing something important here. Which was that God called Moses to be his prophet, his spokesman, and to be the one to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And so... God had been telling him this whole time, been telling Moses what was going to happen. So it only makes sense that Moses knew that God was getting ready to part the Red Sea. But even if he didn't, Moses still knew that God brought him to this place and that God had asked Moses to continue to lead his people from Egypt to the promised land. And even though Moses knew what God had called him to do, what God had given him the power to do, and what was expected of him and the role that he had to play, he still went to God in this moment and said, God, said something along the lines of, God, look at the situation we're in. What should be done? And then God saying, why are you crying out to me, is basically saying, oh, Moses, what are you bringing me into this for? I've already told you what to do. And I think what we see taking place here is what I talked about at, at the start of this whole series when I was talking about Moses' character. Because although Moses was humble, he also dealed with a lot of self-doubt. And I think what we're seeing here is that same doubt coming up again. Where Moses, he wasn't doubting God. He knew that God would deliver him, that he would deliver the Israelite people. Moses still trusted God with that. 
but he didn't have faith in himself. He, he doubted himself, and he doubted the role that he had to play in God's plan, he doubted the role that God had given to him, and was going to God saying, God, you need to take care of this. This is, this is your people. This is your problem. What You solve it. And God's saying, why are you coming to me to solve it, Moses? I already told you what you need to do. Now go do what I told you to do. Because that's what he goes into right after asking, asking that question. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through on dry ground. Why are you crying out to me, Moses? Why are you trying to make me do all the hard work? I already told you what to do. Go do it. But because Moses doubted himself so greatly, he was trying to remove himself from this picture. And God was saying, no, you have a part to play in this. Now go do what I have called you to do. Moses was wrestling with his self-doubt. And that doubt led him to this place of trying to avoid the task that God gave to him and trying to give that task, that responsibility, back to God instead of doing what God had called him to do. And I think so often we can fall into this same line of thinking that Moses has, where we doubt ourselves, we see our imperfections, and we think there is no way that me, in all, in all of the flaws that I have, that I... And the one to walk out what God's plan is. That I am the one to lead God's people through what he wants to do. But the truth is that God loves us so much that he doesn't just want to do things for his people. He wants to involve his people in the process of his kingdom work. And too often we try to take ourselves out of that equation. And we say, God, you do it. You know, Jesus, take the wheel, right? I'm hands up. I give up. I'm imperfect. I can't do anything. It all has to be God, and I'm just going to sit in the back seat. I can't do this. And God is saying, no, what you are trying to do is avoid what I have given you the responsibility of doing. You're trying to get out of the task that I have given to you. Go and do what I have told you to do. See, we have to accept the part that God has given us to play in his plan. We have to accept the responsibilities that he has given to us. And instead of trying to take ourselves out of the equation and say, God, you do all the work, we instead have to own up to the responsibilities that come with our faith and say, okay, God, tell me what to do, and I will go and do it. And again, it goes back to that idea of, of being able to overcome that fear and doubt and to trust God. And so we'll get to the second half of this story next week. 
But as far as the first half, this is the lesson that we can take away. That all of us should trust God to give us a deeper understanding of our part in His plan to move us beyond what we've experienced before. Trusting God, gaining that deeper understanding. It's His plan, but we have a part to play. And God's going to move us from where we've been before, what we're used to, what we're familiar with, move us beyond that into something greater. We just have to trust Him to lead us down that path. And this has been another Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, I'd love to hear from you. And you can reach me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I encourage you to share this message with other people to help get God's truth out there. And if you want to support me monetarily, you can also pledge a support on Patreon. But most of all, I thank you for taking the time to listen. I appreciate each and every one of you who love God so much that you're willing to take the time to dive deeper into his word with me. I thank you for that, and I pray that God will bless you because of your dedication to him. So may God bless you, and until next week, thank you again for listening. Thank you.